Laverne. This is Laverne DeFazio. She's mine. And this is Shirley Feeney. She's yours, as you can see. Mm. So, Cheryl, why do you think of this kid? You been with worse? Oh, he's nice. And a tie, too. And a hanky. Is that for showing or for blowing? <laughs> I just wanted to let you know about my study group. Oh, don't be a fuddy-duddy. I'll be your study buddy. I'm about to embark on one of the great challenges of my scientific career. This work right here is going to change history. I think this is going to be our greatest mission. I don't have time to study. I'll never get into Stanford. I got big plans for you tonight. I got maps. I got charts. I'm going to see you through this because my credibility is on the line. It's at this point that you'll want to start taking notes. Welcome to the Sitcom Study, the podcast where we investigate the TV shows we grew up with and search for the truth and wisdom within the tropes and cliches. And we have a very interesting lineup tonight. Amy, what is our topic tonight? So our topic tonight is backdoor pilots, which sounds dirty, but it's not. And we watch four shows, but we've got two origin stories and two pilots. Both of the um, pilots that we're watching were originally in other more beloved shows. So we're going to start off with Happy Days. And one of the many pilots that came out of Happy Days is Laverne and Shirley. So we're going to take a look at their first appearance in Happy Days and then the pilot of their standalone series. And then we did the same thing with Golden Girls and Empty Nest, which wasn't as popular, even though it was kind of beloved it in was, its day. Yeah, I mean, it won Emmys. My mom watched it. It was definitely, it was a thing. It was a hit. It, it had its own spinoff called Nurses. Yes. Yeah, but hard to find on streaming services, not available. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a little resourceful with some of these. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, spinoffs is the key word here. Spinoffs, but both of these were more backdoor piloty. Right. That's what I wanted to kind of break down for a second, because going into this, you know, we were talking about spinoffs. There's so many different kinds. Right. And, you know, the sort of categories, as I see it, are uh, you have the ones that are kind of organic and legit. The best example, I think, is Frasier, yes. right? Where you have a show like Cheers that goes for years. It's an ensemble. Everybody loves it. It ends naturally. Everyone wants, uh, you know, they want to choose one of those characters and uh, make a show about him. And everyone loves it and, and it works. And that show itself becomes, you know, a legitimate hit that goes for years. Right. And the then, antithesis of that would be Joey coming off of Friends and just sort of... Well, I think the reaction <laughs> to Joey is the antithesis of it. But I think the concept is still oh, no, that's kind the same. of the same. Exactly. Yes, yeah. that's the same type of, of spinoff. And what I would say the, the real antithesis is, is like you said, the backdoor pilot. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, the, the totally different type of spinoff. Right. So the amazing example of this that we're not properly covering, but I just want to sort of throw out there, were not one, not two, but three episodes of the final season of Charles in Charge, <laughs> in which... They tried to launch spinoffs by nakedly For every sticking single them. Character. So as we were making our way through Charles in Charge and coming, you know, coming through that fifth and final season and going, all right, I wonder what this last, you know, dozen or so episodes of Charles in Charge is going to be. And then we get to one that was called The Lost Resort, which I just looked up the plot synopsis to kind of refresh my memory. 
Charles has to go down to like a, a hotel resort somewhere. Yeah. In where, like Florida or California or something. Yes. Where uh, he is met with my most hated sitcom trope, uh, the identical cousin. They've got Buddy's identical cousin uh, running this ski resort. So it's an excuse. I had forgotten to. I blocked it out. It's an excuse for Willie. Buddy's identical cousin. It's an excuse for Willie Ames to play a different character because in this new show that they were going to have, he would be the manager of this hotel. That's Uh, that's right. Mm -hmm. And so if you're watching this show just as a uh, innocent Charles in Charge fan, you see him go. There are no innocent Charles in Charge fans. We're all complicit. You see him go to this resort and then, you know, they fold in. It's not like you meet one or two wacky characters. You meet like a whole new cast. Yes, a whole new cast. And then they don't come back like charles is like well okay if you're here i guess i don't need to be here and then pieces out and we don't see him the rest of the episode these shows are the tv equivalent of like your friend asks you out for drinks invites some other friends and then leaves and and you're left you know with these other people (laughs) the equivalent Uh, of a date ditch (laughs) yeah so yeah you find yourself watching this show that's got this whole new cast of characters dealing with a new dilemma in this case it was a jumper on the window ledge oh, that they right. had to talk down and it's just sort of got the the Charles in charge stamp of approval from the original show right and then a couple episodes later they do the same thing they sent him over to a car wash because his aunt Sally has a car wash and aunt Sally is played by the same lady that plays his mom and that's got a whole new cast to characters and the backdoor pilot for ellen travolta anyway so there's a bunch of them so they're taking a page from the gary marshall playbook yes uh because scott Bayo is of course a a disciple of his so i mean he's from the happy days universe right and Uh, this happy days itself spawned laverne and shirley mork and mindy Joni love loves chachi what else yeah there's a bunch that are not even well known uh because they didn't really go anywhere but there's at least like seven spinoffs of happy days brady bunch has a whole family of spinoffs and then there are the spinoffs that are just this sort of random, like, fun fact about the show where it's like, oh, Family Matters is actually uh, the dad was from an episode of Full House. Or no, something. Perfect Strangers. So he was he was like the security guard in the Perfect Strangers world. In my mind, I had in my head that he was like the elevator operator, but that didn't jive with him being a police officer later on. So the mom also had a job. Maybe she was the elevator operator in that building or something. I don't know. I have that sort of weird memory of elevator and perfect strangers and family matters. So whatever it is, there's a lot of those shows that you don't even think of as spinoffs, but there is some random connection like that. Right. right? And I think some of those shows, they just sort of did it more of like, oh, that's right. We had this same actor. So yeah, let's just I think do it, it just comes down to they liked these guys. Right. They're just like, oh, Reginald Vell Johnson is a blast. Like whenever that guy shows up and plays the cop, like let's, let's, you know, we, we need want to get him a show. And it's fun. And it also, if it does, if it works, right, then you have the opportunity for all these crossover episodes. That was when I was looking at Empty Nest, which is the last show we're going to talk about today. The entire run of their eight seasons that they were on the air, 
every season there are multiple crossover episodes with the Golden Girls characters. Like Sophia eventually becomes a series regular after Golden Girls mm-hmm. ends and stays on with playing the neighbor of this doctor and his family or one sure. of the other neighbors. Yeah, I think by the time you get to the 80s, Gary Marshall had sort of, it's funny, it is kind of the way Marvel has sort of redefined the landscape of movies. It was almost like, yeah, Gary Marshall kind of put his stamp on things. And it was like, that's what you do. If you have a successful show, you branch out, yeah. you know, Uh and you bring in your friends and your family and you keep casting the same people over and over again, a la Chachi, Ellen Travolta being yeah. the, you know, playing well, this basically the also, same characters for all these years in different shows. Well, and you have this built-in gigantic focus group because mm-hmm. the whole world is meeting these characters. And so if people think Mork from Orc is dumb, uh, then you don't make Mork from Mindy, you know, but you see which ones pop, which ones people like. And so, yeah, on Happy Days, they're probably always shuffling in different people. Some of them we don't know because it was like, yeah, Vinny the pizza guy, you know, no one liked him. Well, and that's the big aha that we had when we were looking into Empty Nest and Golden Girls because the backdoor pilot, the the season finale of season two, Golden Girls, is titled, the episode is titled Empty Nests, and it is the backdoor pilot, and it stars no one save for one ancillary character who actually ended up in the show Empty Nest because that Back to Our Pilot episode is rated the worst amongst all Golden Girls episodes. It yeah. is like fans hate it. It's the worst. It has it has very little to do with the character, the main characters. And so just like you were describing in all those Charles episodes where we are left in this random world, we're hoping for a wonderful season finale. Season two, Golden Girls in its prime. It's going to be a cliffhanger. It's going to be a this. It's going to be, nope, none of that. We're going to have this Rita Moreno pilot that wasn't good. Yeah. But before we get to that, let's start with Happy Days. So Happy Days. This is season three, episode 10. It's called A Date with Fonzie. Um, Richie's been in a slump and he's not able to... Always in a slump. Right. I remember... He's like, oh, I broke up with some lady. First and last names are important. And we dated for four months, so I'm out of my groove. I can't ask a girl out. Yeah, I loved Happy Days when it was on, even though it was... You must have uh, watched it in reruns, because it ended in 84. Oh, yeah. The show was before our time, but it was on all the time in reruns after school, and I loved it, even though uh, the nostalgia aspect, I could care less about that. You had this this main character that was always intimidated by girls and, and, you know, all of these, uh, you know, teenager things. And then, you know, he and had that rings ac- true with Jay. And you had ac- he had access to this super cool guy that could like show him the ropes and everything. And uh yeah, it was just such a fun concept, you yeah. know. Yeah, I really I I always liked that show. It reminded me of Greece, which I was super into, and and it was a fun show. Like it was Henry Winkler was not the ladies' man a la Barney Stinson. Like he you know, I guess maybe he was for like his day, but he also was like a very nice 
guy. Well, uh, yeah, there's. I think that's a big thing we need to get into the the sexual politics of Fonzie. But let's yeah. first just sort of set up the basics of this episode because it's not a complicated plot. No, very uh, simple. Um, Ricky, Ricky, Richie broke up with his girlfriend a few months ago and has been in a dry spell. He says even his parents have noticed they stayed in last weekend to play Monopoly with him on Saturday night. So no dates for uh, Richie Cunningham on Saturday night. Anyway, so he is bad at asking girls out. Fonzie's like, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to set you up with two girls well, that don't know on. the that, meaning this, of the word no. This isn't, that's not Fonzie's first resort. No, uh, his, his first, first plan is, is go to the grocery store. Oh, God. There's yes. a whole thing. And I'm wondering, did that come from this? show like did that idea of like picking up women at the grocery store because i'd never heard about it or was that a thing i don't know but fonzie is um i don't know there's a lot of gender roles on display uh when fonzie shows up at the supermarket he says there's no need to be embarrassed right like there is this assumption that this is something only women do and that they I thought completely... he was saying there's no need to be embarrassed like when you're asking women out or when you're flirting with them. So Richie gets advice from another older gentleman that this pays off later, which is it's actually it's a funny bit. But so he he's failing at picking up women at the supermarket and this old man calls him over and he's like, hey, what are you doing? get over here, you know? And so he's telling him, Hey, you know, you're going about it all wrong. The thing you got to do is push your shopping cart into them because that's, you know, Oh, hold on. I, I, I got a fresh one. And he shoves his shopping cart and off he goes and knocks some lady over. So the ne- the next thing that Richie does is push his shopping cart into the first shopping cart he sees coming around a corner and turns out it's Fonzie's. And he says, oh, sorry, Fonz, I thought you were a girl. And Fonzie's like, hey. And that's the part that I was like, who cares? Like, shut up, Fonzie. Like, Yeah, Fonzie is an interesting figure because you're right. Henry Winkler is such a mensch by all accounts. And so he has this, like, kindness that comes through and he really seems like this sort of nice big brother character but on the other hand it's interesting that you mentioned barney stinson before because even though in some ways he's different from him he's similar in the sense that the joke is like what if this guy had so much swagger that it's funny how women react to him yeah so you have stuff like Fonzie snapping his fingers and women flocking to him, like right. literally responding to, to him, snapping his fingers and dismissing them with ways. I wrote this one down. He goes, uh, hey, Ramona, I mailed you a Valentine. Why don't you go home and wait for it? And, yes. and she leaves the, the diner. Yes. Uh, so there, there's this sense of like he truly just has these disposable girls at his beck and call. But what's so funny about it is that because he's Henry Winkler, <laughs> you li- like, I bet you Fonzie actually mailed her a Valentine. Like, I bet there was a Valentine waiting at home for that girl. I bet you she wasn't. Because we never get the we never get the scene where the girl's like, Fonzie. What the hell? Yeah. You know what I mean? And and he dates Laverne, who but, would totally call him out on his shit. Well, yeah, she would. But I think, unfortunately, 
the general happy days philosophy might just be that these girls literally go home and just wait indefinitely because they they're dead dumb. That's a bummer. I mean, I guess I'm not remembering as much of the happy days and the Barney Stinson Fonzie sort of connection. Well, it is similar in the way that Barney in How I Met Your Mother would have those random girls, those featured extras, you know, right. some hot girl that would show up and giggle or not or whatever. Yeah, and then just kind of leave and they're not supposed to have any sort of point of view or anything. They're just these kind of dumb, gullible girls that it's like, sure, we'll have real characters that won't be like that. But no, it is a bit parade. more realistic, right? In that that the women all despise him and see through his nonsense. Whereas in Happy Days, it's that idealized 50s universe where it's like, oh, no, they're all just waiting for his call. Like, Yeah. <laughs> so after the supermarket plan doesn't work. Fonzie basically says, I have in the parlance of head of the class, I've got a sure thing, right? I'm going to call these two girls. They, the way he puts it, they don't know the meaning of the word no, right? So basically- They don't know the meaning of the word. So so the first thing we learn about Laverne and Shirley, beloved American sitcom personalities is- Is that they're, they're easy. Yeah, they're promiscuous. So, yeah, he calls them and they show up to the diner and he says, you know, Laverne's for me, Shirley's for you, right? Right. Which is another one of these sort of questionable sexual politics things that's kind of like, well, he just sort of sells it as like, well, let's just all get on the same page here. It'll be fine. Uh, We're going to have a good time. But, yeah, you just don't quite know what to make of it from a modern perspective. (laughs) I just looked at the IMDb description of this episode, and here is the plot sentence. The Fonz picks two of his favorite chicks out of his not-so-little black book to help Richie out of a dating dress. Yeah, well, that's totally true. And we didn't mention uh, the continuity from, uh, so I Dream of Jeannie, Biff Jellico had a little black book. Yeah. Fonzie has two big black binders, basically. He's like the and Mitt that's Romney. Just two of them. Yeah. He's like, he's like, oh, I just grabbed a couple. Yeah, it's like an Encyclopedia Britannica right. thing. He's got he's binders got... of women. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, after they meet uh Laverne and Shirley in the diner, they have a very quick sort of how do you do? And Fonzie says, Let's get out of here and go to Richie's place. Richie's whole family is out of town. Laverne and Shirley say, We we have to go to the bathroom first. And off Camera, they get in a fight in the bathroom. And this is when we sort of learn, you know, Fonzie says, well, the thing you got to know about Laverne and Shirley, they're always fighting. And so this is where we start to get a sense of, okay, we're meeting a couple characters here that maybe have their own thing going on. They kind of drag each other out of the bathroom or whatever. And we sort of get the sense of, okay, this is their dynamic. They fight a lot. They fight a lot. Yeah. And we don't get a lot of character development on the Shirley character. Like she walks in and she sort of, that was the thing that kind of struck me as very weird because I liked Laverne and Shirley. You know, it also was on in reruns when I was coming home from school and I thought it was very funny. And I remember thinking those two women were hilarious and and they were, you know, these, these like young, but older than me, like working women. And I thought that was a really fun show. And yeah, Shirley was like the sort of straight laced one. And Laverne was the one that was a little more wild and a, a kind of a party girl. And in this, Shirley like walks in and immediately cuddles up next to this 17 year old. Yeah. And I was like, I mean, again, sexual politics of the time. 
she's what they were. They're supposed to be, they didn't go to college. They were supposed to like be working women that are just, you know, a couple years out of high school. But Richie Cunningham is very clearly in high school. So I'm like, is she 20? Is she 19? She doesn't look, she yeah. looks older. And they she like immediately, right. They refer, like she refers to him as a kid. And it, she's like, can't wait to see you again. Okay. Also they're in Milwaukee. Why do they all have New York accents? I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't know how people in Milwaukee talk. I mean, Penny Marshall in the first episode of Laverne and Shirley does say, you know, I'm Laverne DeFazio of Milwaukee by way of the Brooklyn DeFazios. Like, she says that. But why does Shirley, who said that she's from Milwaukee and also they grew up together and went to school together, so, uh, like, must have been during high school that they moved, like... Yeah. That I mean, Laverne's Fonzie talks family, like that too. Fonzie talks like that too. Like, anyway, it's just I'm like, you guys live in Milwaukee. That's yeah, an interesting look, choice. <laughs> again, these are Gary Marshall TV shows. If you've ever heard Gary Marshall talk, that's just his world, you know. So we didn't mention the big plot point, right? That is going to be the thing that ties the whole episode up is that Richie's parents are out of town for the weekend because his aunt and his sister, they're all out of town for the weekend because his aunt had to have, had to have a surgery. And so they're gone. And so they leave Arnold's immediately and go back to Richie's place so they can all, you know, have their good times together. As Fonzie puts it, you'll do more living this weekend than you've done in 17 yeah. years. Um, so that, you know, Again, Happy Days Universe, you get to imagine in your mind what they're planning on doing, but they, um, they're interrupted because the family comes home early. Now, at this point, Laverne and Shirley have gotten into a fight and Shirley's dress is half ripped off. He's walked back in the room, right? As she's retelling the story of her fight with Laverne, swings around and clips him. He's on the ground. Beer has flown out of his hands. Chips and pretzels are spread all over the set. He's down on the ground and she's like, oh, let me kiss the boo-boo and make it better. And is like full on kissing him on the floor when door opens parents and young teenage sister walk in hilarity ensues no big deal parents and kid go upstairs richie says good night end of episode one of the things i'll say though it was like very evident that this is a good tv show there were so many fun moments that were just like random lines that you thought were just sort of throwaway lines but then pay off into bits later so when the family's leaving town and Joni goes well i don't know why you bother giving him a key he always locks himself out anyway and then cut to they come home from arnold's and they're trying to bring the girls in and richie's got to break in the window because uh he has locked himself out so, you know, there's just lots of funny little things like that. There's on the wall where Fonzie was like, oh, she doesn't date off yeah. the wall anymore. It says, call Shirley uh -huh. on the wall. That's his office. The yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, and there's, there's just some other, other little bits like that, that they just do a really good job with all of the beats hitting so that when you know what's going to happen when the family comes home and it's really funny though they have the beat like i was telling you about the guy in the supermarket and then they have marion ross the mom later on saying oh i know she hands Joni, who's complaining about the long car ride a box of cookies and is like here i got you cookies for the car ride so you won't get cranky and she's like mom they're all squished and marion ross is like i know every time i go to the supermarket some guy hits me with this cart so it's just like 
it was really, it's a well-written episode. Yeah, there's lots of good stuff like that. There's lots of slapstick. You really get the sense. They really want to entertain that live audience. You know, you yeah. really get the sense of like, this is on a stage and people are right there, you know, 20 feet away from Richie Cunningham, watching him flop onto the ground and these goofy bits with the shopping carts and everything, uh, climbing through the window and stuff. Like, yeah, you really get the sense that it's not, you know, they're not going for realism. It's like that link between theater and uh, TV. Well, and then I remembered, because this is like another one of these TV things that happens all the time, is the younger kid sibling always gets sent upstairs go upstairs so they have this moment where Richie tells his parents to just go upstairs let him say goodbye to Shirley and clean things up and they'll talk later and as they're going up the stairs Joni's like see it sucks to be told to go upstairs doesn't it and I was like that's really funny that does happen all the time like, yeah <laughs> yeah, not a ton of the rest of the family. They basically just have that one scene. Yeah. But yeah, I would say it is good. It is, you know, I guess unsurprisingly, it's a little odd when you look back on it through the context of Laverne and Shirley was this big thing. And, you know, they don't even come in until about halfway through. They have a few scenes. And, you know, to a certain extent, it's maybe just that she is his sister, Gary Marshall's sister. Uh, but they do like they're they're really charismatic and they're fun. Uh, yeah, they definitely get more character development than any other like random girl in all these other times that Fonzie's trying to help, you know, that's trying to help Richie date. And so, yeah. And fun fact, Ron Howard and Cindy Williams played boyfriend, girlfriend in American Graffiti like two or three years before this episode aired. And then it's also just funny to think that, you know, you cut to 10 years or so after this and Ron Howard and Penny Marshall you know, are around the same time directing big League of Their Own, Splash. Yeah. Uh, they're like two of the biggest mainstream blockbuster Hollywood directors. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. So, this, so we've met Laverne and Shirley now. We're traveling forward in time. How many years to, to the Laverne and Shirley pilot? So the show that we just watched, the Happy Days episode, aired on November 11th, 1975. And then the Laverne and Shirley aired end of January. It was a mid-season pilot. And it began end of January, 1976. So Laverne and Shirley, episode one. Yes. Laverne and Shirley, episode one is called The Society Party. Yes. The most sitcommy premise. This is just straight up snobs versus slobs. Uh, <laughs> you know, a couple uh, ragtag working gals find themselves invited to a fancy party. But I guess before we get to all that, we get a taste of them in their apartment. You know, there it all begins with a big sort of Laverne and Shirley dialogue scene right, where we see their personas from Happy Days, to my thinking, are more or less in place. You get the big thing seems to be Laverne is a total misanthrope, right? She's just like sarcastic uh, and just sort of like droll. She makes fun of everything. She kind of like, she's the Daria 
of of the fifties. Yeah, she just yeah, she just seems to be this like realist, right? She's just like whatever. I know my place in life. I know how high up I'm gonna date in the social ladder. I'm fine with all this, you know. It's fine. She's like the the you know gruff old lady at the DMV or something, right? Except for she's she's like twenty two. Yeah, or Uh, as we're supposed to understand, like nineteen, considering they just went on dates, right? And Shirley is the sort of wide-eyed optimist, a sort of a little naivete. Her whole thing is that she has hope and they sing high hopes, which, by the way, in the universe of this episode, contemporaneous with the time period of Happy Days should have been, I think, 1958. And that song, High Hopes, had not been released yet. Interesting. (laughs) So that's basically their dynamic. They have a couple of friends or neighbors named Lenny and Squiggy. Yeah. I always knew that Michael McKeon was was Lenny from Lenny and Squiggy on Laverne and Shirley, but this was my first experience with oh, them. Oh, and this wasn't even a good Lenny and Squiggy episode because they didn't have anything to do. They just, you know, they were introduced in the bar as like these two guys they went to high school with that they were weird and that they hated. And But I then they were like, okay, we're going to use them to get our dresses since we don't have nice dresses for this party. I don't understand them. Like, I don't understand what, why do they talk like that? Why, like, what are they? Like, what are they? They are caricatures. Well, so they, too, have these odd, like, oddly New York accents. I don't know what that is. And, yeah, they're Lenny and Squiggy, man. They are these wannabe greasers. That they're not gay, right? They're no. not supposed to be coded no. as gay. Oh, my gosh. They're totally they're like they hornballs. They come on to them all the time in later episodes. Yeah, absolutely. And they were coming on to them in this episode. They, so they're just dumb. That's their thing. They're wannabe greasers. They're, like, nerdy guys who are like, ah, you got to dress like Fonzie if you want to be cool and so they dress like Fonzie but they are 'er ne'er-do-wells and and apparently associated with a criminal element. They dress differently from each other. Like one of them dresses like a greaser. Mm -hmm. Squiggy dresses like a greaser but Lenny dresses like I don't know what something different i can't i can't picture it now but i remember noticing that they looked like different yeah, social he types. wasn't wearing he wasn't wearing like the leather jacket and didn't have the like whatever that hairdo is that or anyway but they both are these like you know they're these kind of loser guys that they knew from high school but they know that they're always will you know flirt with them and do anything for them so they all they have to do all the girls have to do is put on a little charm and these gross guys Lenny and Squeaky that aren't good enough for them will do whatever they want so they're them. schmucks basically that's yeah. their deal they're schmucks all right uh they have an interesting conversation about sex Laverne and Shirley mm-hmm. where they they talk about woe to bobo what i vodiodo <laughs> what is that <laughs> That's from like flapper music, Bodo Um, And so they were using that as a euphemism yes. for like, you know, well, you go all the way, you Vodo Do. And Shirley, Cindy Williams' character, was like, I do not Vodo Do. Maybe I Vodo when <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then she says like well maybe one time or whatever it's very interesting yeah. uh just sort of continuing you know on the virginity episode we were talking about how these shows to various extents are not willing or able to talk about that you know to have that in the very first episode 
to be like, okay, it's still Gary Marshall. We're not gonna, you know, traumatize anybody, but we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, throw this in the mix. We're gonna address this to a certain extent. I thought that was interesting. But then, yeah, we get to the main crux of the episode, which is they have to go to a fancy party. It literally is like they look at each other and go, us at a society party? Cut to commercial break. That was the scene I think that I disliked the most just because that character that invites them to the party, like Laverne was right to be like, fuck this guy. We shouldn't go to this party because he was horrible. horrible. He's the nephew of the guy who owns the Schlotz Brewery, which is where they work and put the bottle caps on the beer bottles. And yeah, so this guy's like the nephew, but he's, and he says to them, he's like, oh, I need to impress my uncle at this party because he says I don't relate to the working people. So will you guys come and just like be there because otherwise I'm never going to get moved out of this like horrible department with all these like garbage people, you know, talking about them and saying it to them. And you've got, I see where you're saying with like the sort of naivete in that Shirley was like, Oh, he's rich. And I don't care that he's being horrible to me. And Penny Marshall was just like, uh, fuck this guy. He's insulting us. We're not going to a stupid party. And Cindy's like, yeah, but you never know. Shirley's like, you never know. Maybe we'll meet somebody there that won't be as horrible as him or maybe he isn't as horrible. Like she's just willing to give him all matter of breaks because he's got money. Yeah. When they get there, he says, I need to talk to the real guests. He's just a total asshole. And then they schmooze a little bit. There's, you know, the classic sort of sitcom stuff. And then they call Fonzie. Fonzie comes because Laverne's like, I'm not going to this stupid party. And I already have a date. And that nephew guy was like, that's fine if you already have a date. Bring him too. The more like working people, the better. It'll be fine. So Fonzie shows up. And this is also, you know, this is par for the course in these um, backdoor pilot kind of things to have the crossover people come on and and get the credibility. Exactly. Get the ratings and the viewership up so that, and Fonzie comes in and he's just sort of immediately like, Hey, just being himself in this society, like not even caring. This is is formal wear Fonzie. That's right. right? So he's he's still got his brown leather jacket (laughs) and and jeans, but he's got a tie, tie. which I was laughing because now this is like what you would see. It's a normal like, look. <laughs> yeah, you would see like at a tech talk or right, something, right. Uh, you know, some fancy guy with the tie and the blue jeans. But yeah, Fonzie comes, more fish out of water stuff, more snobs versus slob stuff. Uh, there's one point where they literally have someone say the line, well, I never. And then Shirley says, it shows, hon. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. That was so funny. So anyway, so they go off to the party, they sit down at the party, immediately they meet this couple who starts looking down their nose at them, and, you know, uh, the woman's like, where did you get that dress? And she's like, oh, you know, I, you know, we bought or we rented them or something like that. And then, and then during dinner, the same couple makes an announcement that those two ne'er-do-wells that are here are shouldn't be here because they're wearing stolen dresses that were stolen from their daughter's closets. Yeah, like there's just there's no reason to ever fraternize with right. uh, stuck-up rich people, basically. Right. It's just kind of saying like, hey, everybody, if you're a working slob, this is the show for you. Yeah, exactly. This is the Roseanne of its day. Like we yeah. are, we're for you guys, not for the other half. 
half. And uh, and Fonzie and Laverne both are like, hey, you know, you guys are rude. This is ridiculous. They both have a little monologue where they kind of are able to say, you know, you people suck. You know, we were invited here and you've been treating us horribly. And Fonzie has the same kind of a thing. Like, you know, the girls go into the bathroom to, to they say, at first they say, well, we'll just give the dresses back to you at the end. We thought we rented them, you know, our bad. And they were like, that's not good enough. We're calling the police. And so they said, fine, we'll give them back to you right now. And they go off into the bathroom and then they come out in their slips and they, you know, their exits are in their slips when they're putting their coats back on. And Fonzie's like, I'll I'll leave when I'm done with my soup, but you guys suck. And like eats his soup and that's the end of the episode. Well, no, first we get, you know, they go back home and we get like so many pilots, mm. this sort of final scene where the two of them are going to sit down and, uh, you know, now that we're done with the, the conflict of Laverne and Shirley versus the world, we have to deal with their ongoing conflict with each other, which is just more of this sort of cynic versus dreamer thing. Yeah. And, you know, Shirley basically says, like, you can't be such a downer all the time. You got to lighten up and, like, not, you know, roll your eyes at me and shoot down everything I say and do. Yeah. And even though this time went badly, like, it's not always that way. And I just, like, I need you to be a little bit more optimistic. And Laverne's like, look, I am. And this is my tough outer shell. And you know that. And, like, I'll try kind yeah. of a thing and then that you're right then that's the end of the episode because they have their friendship healed until the next episode when they fight because this is what they do yeah. as Fonzie as Fonzie puts it <laughs> but you know thinking back on this just now trying to sort of decide my opinion of if this works if if I would have uh you know liked this at the time or thought it was a you know sort of organic expansion of happy days it actually kind of redeems the whole Laverne and Shirley thing. Like we meet them in happy days in the context of like, they're here, easy. Yeah. yeah. Here's a couple of uh, strumpets, you know, that, <laughs> that flock to Fonzie's every whim. Yeah. You know, here's a couple <laughs> of girls that don't know the meaning of the word. No, that'll, you know, they'll, they'll right. get you out of their, out of your slump. And then we get this whole Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing where it's like, now let's take it from their point of view and go to their place and see what their life is like. Yeah. And, uh, see, and see why, maybe. Uh, but that was, like I said, why I was so surprised when Shirley was introduced on Happy Days that she like was this weird sort of immediately like glommed on to Richie and was like just wanting to make out with him. And because that that's not really her personality in Laverne and Shirley proper. Sure. And you got to think with all shows, the characters morph as yeah, as they as, as they break in. I think the basic dynamic they had from the start was just that she was the happier more optimistic more free-spirited one yeah and so you almost can see it as like penny marshall going like hey gary you made these two girl characters that don't have their own yeah they have, like they have no autonomy <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and so like now let's go and actually do something with them there you go so um, they did i think from the pilot Again, it was clear that this was a, a well-designed show, right? Mm -hmm. There was some they had they had a place to go. The pilot itself was not like an ace, you know. It was not. Oh, it, I can't imagine it wasn't that. like West Wing's pilot, you know. 
oh. or something else. But but it was it wasn't bad. It did exactly what you said. It was you know was trying to do, which was really kind of establish these characters for who they are: working class girls who are just trying to make it out there in the big tough man's world. Yeah, and you didn't have a ton of female-led shows at that point. I'm sure you had Mary Tyler Moore and stuff, but uh, yeah, I think the world was definitely like, absolutely, yes, yeah. please. And it was it was fast-paced. That's the other thing that I, so many of these shows that the difference between like Sink and Swim in pilot season is just the like, the way the dialogue flows, you know what I mean? There's there, People are picking up their cues. It's interesting to listen to. They talk talk like regular people, you know, or New Yorkers who live in Milwaukee. But, you know, there's like... Yeah. And there's a lot of story right. in a short amount of time, right. um, especially in that Happy Days one. Oh, yeah. Let's move on to the gals who are golden. The Golden Girls and the episode uh, season finale for season two, episode 26, titled Empty Nests. I would be furious if I were a Golden Girls fan watching this in real time. Oh my gosh. And this was the last episode of the season. Knowing I'm going to go away for the summer and not have any. This is May 6th, 1980. Sorry, May 16th, 16th. 1987. I'm not going to get another new Golden Girls until September. Right. So the reason, oh. I guess, aside from the machinations of, like we were talking about, the sort of cynical, you know, marketing thing of we need to, you know, use this as a launching pad for a show. Putting that aside, the reason why I guess they felt like this was season finale material is they have guest star Rita Moreno playing this woman who, you know, the basic premise of the episode is she is married to a doctor who is so important that she can't talk to him about the fact that she hates her life and feels completely useless and listless and depressed. So that is one of the versions of this Rita Moreno character that we saw. Because there's also the version that is sad because all of her kids are now away at college or grown and she is experiencing empty nest syndrome and her husband just isn't really noticing because he's busy with work. That's what I thought the episode was going to be. And then it turned into, well, I want to tell him about it because he he should know because he's my husband and I love him. But then when she goes to tell him, it's a completely different character of the wife. And she's like, our marriage is in trouble because you're never here. And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm working the same that I always have been working. And she's like, yeah, but I used to have kids here and now I don't. Now I'm lonely. And he's like, hold on, I got to take a call because Mr. So-and-so finally peed again. And like... And so she she like pieces out and like leaves. So hang on. So just to, to back up a second, what we're talking about is Rita Moreno is the friend of the Golden Girls. She's their next door neighbor right. and her doctor, Paul, played by Paul Dooley. Not who, her doctor, her husband. Her who husband, is who is a doctor, the doctor, their neighbor. So there's Rita Moreno's character, the wife. Yes. Who is neighbors of the Golden Girls. Right. So we meet her by her showing up to the normal Golden Girls set 
and explaining these problems to her. So in that, so far, we're still in normal TV episode land. We're still yes. with characters we know and love. Right. And and so Rita Moreno explains her troubles that sound very much like empty nest syndrome and nothing more, not that her marriage is in trouble or any of that. She was just nervous. She had sort of that like nervous energy. She felt like she couldn't talk to her husband about she, it. Yeah, she, she would say like, things like- she didn't want to- she didn't want to make it seem like the work he was doing wasn't important. And by the way, two of the Golden Girls, he's their doctor. So yeah. they're like, you yeah, definitely think... don't tell him to cut back on his hours. It's already hard enough to get an appointment it's with him. It's like she was the wife of Dr. Anthony Fauci. It was like the world depends on this guy Being having 100% access to his work at all times. Yeah, And they and his patients were calling him at home. Like his phone was ringing off the hook with patients that were just calling his personal home number to let him know that they'd peed or that they had like whatever ailment they had last seen him for was now moving in the right direction. Yeah. So it's your standard sort of workaholic situation. Right. And then when you meet him, yeah, he's the most self-absorbed, least empathetic character in the world. Right? See, just... and I saw him as kind of affable, but then, but just not realizing that there was anything because his life hadn't changed, right? He would go to work every day. He would come home, you know, come home whenever he wanted every day. The only thing that has changed in his life is that his kids are now not in his house for him to kiss them goodnight when he comes home. But yeah. for the wife, her whole world is different. She has no one around and no one to talk to and no activities because her entire social calendar for the last 18 to 20 some years, because they apparently have three kids, as that's what they were saying, that had been raising children. And so... Yes, it's less of an issue for him. But I guess what I'm responding to is the way he reacts to her when she tells him this. I just kind of got this vibe like... He just didn't give a shit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like he says things like, he goes, well, well, all right. What if we took a second honeymoon? Would that work? And she's like, we never took any honeymoon. I was spent the, our wedding night in the freaking emergency room waiting area. Yeah. No, um, in the, uh, in, in a bed next to a coma patient. Yeah. So <laughs> you just really get the out. impression that his wife is telling him, like, we have no, you know, like relationship anymore. I'm not connecting with you. And, and he he's was just like, oblivious. Well, and I mean, to his credit, he was like, this has never been a, what are you talking about? Like, nothing has changed. Like, uh, this has never been a problem. And she's like, yes, things have changed. I don't have kids here anymore. I'm alone all the time. Like, don't you understand that? And he was like, no, I don't. I like, I yeah. don't get it. Yeah. Go and why don't you get a job? Why don't you go do something? Why don't yeah. you go make yourself busy? Yeah. This is a like a very normal occurrence Just in our sort parents' of, yes, generation. A pragmatic kind of <laughs> yeah, like, uh, response. Yeah. So to review here, at this point, now we're talking about this husband and wife character 
who are one step removed from the Golden Girls, who is it's the show that we're supposed to be watching. Right. So in these scenes where we're, you know, dealing with them and their issues in their house, we meet this whole new wacky cast of characters. Correct. And this is what I mean by that feeling where your friend invites you to drinks and then bails <laughs> and, then and bails. you're stuck with a bunch of weirdos. Because we didn't have much of the Golden Girls in this episode. They did kind of pop in like... You know, Rita Moreno came over to their house at the beginning, and then they came over to her house a couple of times at the end, yeah. or once in yeah. the middle and once at the end, but for the They're most part, it. we didn't see them. But at the very beginning, we get the Golden Girls classic scene in the kitchen, and the dishes are piling up because Mr. Fix-It didn't finish fixing their dishwasher. And they're like, when is Mr. Fix-It going to come back? So now fast forward, we're in the empty nests set, we're in the neighbor's house, and the wacky cast of characters is being introduced by coming to the door and just walking in as, you know, neighbors are want to do. And so this guy shows up and they, I think they called him like Charlie or something. And he, uh, he's like, Hey, how do you know I'm Chuck right now? Like, how can you tell the difference between my three personalities? And he's like, well, you know, you, the other two personalities are afraid of, something and you knocked on the door or whatever yeah. so i knew it was you yeah so this guy his shtick is he is a mental patient with disassociative three, three distinct personalities multiple personality disorder yeah and so uh that's the joke that's and the so joke. the premise i guess is just that you're gonna constantly deal with all the funny misadventures of a guy who is actually three different people. Right. And and then they they make a point to be like, see, there's nothing wrong with mental illness. Like, isn't it great? He's a perfectly lovable guy. You just gotta, you know, figure out who you're talking to. Like, that was their comment on mental, like, mental health. But so then he comes out. Now we've got him in the scene. He goes upstairs. The Golden Girls come over, or one or two of the Golden Girls come over for, I don't know, cup of sugar or something. No, no reason I, to check in on the wife, right? To be like, yeah. hey, did you tell him? Right. And she's like, no, I haven't had a chance yet. And they're like, oh, oh, Chuck, you know, Chuck's upstairs or whatever. And they're like, oh, good. Well, see if you can get him to be Mr. Fix-It because I need Mr. Fix-It to come over and, and fix the dishwasher. And then from upstairs, we hear him say, as he's coming down, the character of Chuck is like, so I fixed your ceiling fan and I did this and I noticed that this needed that. So I just rerouted the this and I blah, 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 and tells all these things that he fixed and they were like well okay great and then the golden girls are like cool so when you see Mr. Fix it will you tell him but he's just said all these things so like the audience totally knows how do they not know and yeah. he's like I am Mr. Fix it now I'll be right over <laughs> yeah it's such a strange uh, idea for a character yeah uh, very weird and very then strange. addition to him you have just this generic Creepy, horned up, other funny right. navy, funner, yes. funny neighbor character played by David Leisure, and he is the only character that survives this attempt at a backdoor pilot to the original pilot, which is amazing because he is odious. Yeah, he is disgusting. Like I don't, I didn't He's write down nasty. any quotes or anything. Yeah, no. So I wish I had like a, a, a specific example, but. He's just detestable in everything he says and does. Yeah, that uh, is his entire character. Yeah. 
And I guess that's just, that's part of the formula in the eighties is like, you just have someone who's this, yeah, this horrible guy that everybody like the, the sole reason for him to be in a scene is so that Dorothy can get off a good one liner about how horrible he is. Yeah. Um, and like, apparently he threw up in their pool at a new year's Eve party. And that's why he's not allowed to come over to their house anymore. BTW, the golden girls do not have a pool. Interesting. <laughs> so, okay. So at this point we need to do, I need to tell you some trivia. Sure. Okay. Right. Rita Moreno. Not only is this the lowest rated fan, episode like ever of the golden girls and it was such a massive failure that like we said they retooled the entire idea for what the tv show empty nest would be see hang on let's just pause on that for a second because is that not the complete wrong takeaway from that the reason why people didn't like it was because like you said we're tuning in to see an episode about a group of characters that we know you're taking us to a completely different set and a completely different cast and point of view and showing us a bunch of characters who happen to be obnoxious and borderline offensive uh you know we want to be watching sophia and blanche and we're watching freaking norman bates like Okay, so Rita Moreno has given many interviews about this, and she said that Susan Harris, the creator and writer of Golden Girls, also the creator and writer of the subsequent sitcom Empty Nests, was ill and not available for rewrites when they were shooting this episode. So the reason that there are it's seemingly three different three different wives that Rita Moreno is playing in this episode is because every one of the writers was sort of scrambling around but not really wanting to make a different, like not really wanting to make, and the Golden Girls themselves were like, this is crap. This is a horrible season finale. They were unhappy. So the whole shooting process, Rita Moreno says that it was really tense. Susan Harris wasn't there. It couldn't do rewrites. The episode needed to be fixed. And then you've got to, you got to think, right? This Susan Harris woman, she's got a hit. So now she has a deal with this network to make whatever spinoff she wants to make. And she wasn't available to actually make this backdoor pilot fly. So they still use the same set in that, in the actual horrible set, horrible <laughs> lavender set with clear plexiglass cupboards so you could see through them and all your dishes out into the backyard which was like a lanai you know florida yeah, really didn't greenery like but yeah i see i don't mind the mauve but i grew up in florida so we'll you know agree to disagree i i i kind of like that look the plexiglass cabinets notwithstanding <laughs> covers notwithstanding but so yeah so it was it was a complete failure on many many levels but the you know the the susan harris woman the creator of golden girls still had this deal so she was gonna deliver and when they retooled it they killed off the wife the husband was recast this child that um in the episode of the golden girls that comes back and wants to drop out of columbia yeah. university and that's rita moreno's reason for leaving and going and getting her daughter back into college and getting her resettled in. But then she stays up there for multiple weeks and leaves her husband to feel some of the loneliness that she's been feeling, which we then find out later that it wasn't because she had a bunch going on, which is what 
we hear that she's been saying that she had a bunch going on and there was a talent agent and maybe she had been an actress before the, you know, his practice took off. So maybe she was going to get back into acting or whatever. All of that's a big fat lie. She's just been hanging out in this fancy hotel in New York City yeah, waiting, him a taste of his own yeah, waiting for him to show up, which is horrible. Like, no one, ew, another, like, it, gross. That's. Yeah. She's pouting and yeah, like... and so then he comes and they have you know their actual only honeymoon because they never had a first honeymoon and enjoy themselves you know that for a week in New York and whatever. But so in the actual empty nest, they kill off her. Yeah. The wife is dead. It's a different well, husband, and, and, and we say... they don't have that same daughter. There's no Jenny in Empty Nest. Yeah, they have three daughters. Two of which appear on the show Empty Nest, and one of which is an off-screen character named Emily that never appears. They did not. No offense to uh, Tom Dooley, who is a great actor. He's in The Mighty Winds, the, the Christopher Guest movies. Oh yeah, uh, they did Paul, not. Paul Dooley. Paul Dooley. Uh, they did not feel the need to have the husband be handsome in this iteration of this when backdoor do they pilot. Ever? Come on. Uh, it's a TV show. Why not have? No, but this the guy is always the way it is. He's supposed to be. It's a, King of Queens. It's every like hot woman, fat guy that they're going for. Oh, though. I totally like. It doesn't matter, right? All these like this guy's well off or whatever. This guy's funny. This guy had appeared on an episode of Golden Girls before and did a good job, and so now he's going to be something else. It's always a hot because you can't be an actress and be normal looking. You have to be hot. So despite this being uh, just completely unsuccessful by any possible metric, they make Empty Nest the series. They do. Yeah. They make Empty Nest the series, a totally different cast, a totally different idea. I mean, he's still a doctor, but uh, the main character is a, is a doctor, not the wife. And he's been widowed. Yeah, they switched the wife with a dog, basically. Now he has a dog right. that he is always sort of like addressing his thoughts to. Yes. And he is a germaphobe pediatrician. So whereas before, Paul Dooley's character was a doctor of the many, many elderly in Miami, he is no longer a doctor of the elderly. He is a germaphobic pediatrician. Yes, and also a misanthrope pediatrician and maybe a child molester pediatrician because he says to his nurse don't you knock before you come in here while he's alone that, in the room with the child yeah which he insists on being he he's in a checkup with a mom and the kid that's right and he's and like he the sends, mom's so overbearing listen, sends her out yes he sends the mom out of the room and he slips the boy a piece of paper with his phone number on it and says <laughs> call me don't give this to your mother yeah call me if you're having trouble with your mom i mean look they were trying to set that mom up like a helicopter parent and they did a good job like she kept you know he would ask the kid a question and the mom would answer and yes. like whatever and he's like is your name rocco or whatever it does not yes you no know, but it didn't age well no the, it was very weird yes, the intention is supposed to be this guy is a grump and this woman is annoying and so he's being, you know, sort of in the tradition of a Walter Matthau-y kind of guy. He's being kind of a grump towards her, but kind of connecting with the kid. Now it just comes across as, what the hell are you doing? No parent would ever allow this. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he goes back home and we sort of meet our new version of 
the supporting characters. We get the same horrible neighbor guy. We get a different daughter. I did write down a specific thing this time. The neighbor taunts the daughter about her failed marriage. Yes. That's like the first uh, taste of him that we get. Yes. And he's just as horrible in this moment as he was with Dorothy in the last. Look, so they set up Dinah Manoff's character, who we all know from Greece. This is a very Greece-heavy episode. She played Marty in Greece. And so this is her, like, now she's, you know, in a grown-up show. She's no longer a teenager. So she is this sort of kind of grouchy, grumpy, old, like not even old lady, young woman who has been left because her husband was a cheating scoundrel. And she definitely has this air of, like, I'm thinking of 9 to 5, you know, the the Jane Fonda and movie 9 to 5, right, where it's like she is this damaged being because she's divorced. That was very much the feel they were going for, which just doesn't really ring true anymore. But yeah, she she like leans into the shrew of her character and is very like complaining about her dad not eating enough vegetables, complaining that no things that nobody's ever there for, her, complaining that nothing's going right and the job doesn't work and the marriage doesn't work and nobody and she just like whine 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 whine. And you're like shut up. But then David Leisure lays into her and. And all like all that disappears. It's like, no, he's a dick. You're like, you're going through a hard time. That sucks. And why is your dad not standing up for you? Like, by the way, why is everybody just like, oh, it's totally fine that this guy is horrible. Yeah. And well, we just put up with him being so mean all the time and not throwing him out of my house because he's insulting my child who just got left and is devastated. And by the way, her mom just died. Yes. The reason is because one thing that does carry over from the Golden Girls episode is this guy's emotional cluelessness <laughs> and his just completely just being a self-absorbed asshole that uh, just doesn't notice anything. Right. Um, like he didn't notice that he'd been dating for six months. Yes. So that's one of the main storylines is uh, Laura Palmer's mom from Twin Peaks is a colleague, right, of the main character. Right. And yeah, they've been having dinner, I guess, these sort of regular little dates where they have dinner, but he doesn't think of it as dating. And then she's like, well, A, it is dating, and B, we need to get married. Right. Right. Because we're at that point in our lives. So I have some personal experience with this. Mm. My grandparents lived in on top of the world which is a huge retirement community in central florida so this is like one of these retirement communities that all the greatest generation started moving into because they all retired you know at a much younger age than we can because that's the way the economy works. So they had this huge group of friends. They were all couples that they hung out with all the time. And that was like, they were very social in their world uh, on top of the world. And when one of their friend's wives passed away, within a year or so, the husband, the widower, started seeing this woman and she was a widow herself. And within like 18 months, because they were going to go on a trip together, and that meant they were going to stay overnight in a hotel together, they got married. 
and this man, Richard Mulligan, who plays the dad in this in this sitcom, is that same age. Like he's of that same generation. So is the woman who is, you know, you know her from Twin Peaks. That that rang so true to me. I was like, yeah, that's absolutely what happened. Like you So you think it's just the shame of like we can't fraternize unless we're married? No, it's not the shame. It's like that is societally the way they were brought up. Like where there's no reason her, her point in this show is like, hey, there's no reason to beat around the bush. Like, like why are we just like dating? Like, let's this is silly. Let's just get married, which means I want to have sex with you because you can't have sex unless you're married and you can't stay over and you can't be together. And like all of that is just societally yeah. like the way that that generation was raised. So, yeah, that right. I was like, oh, that's just like my grandparents friend. I remember when that happened and we were like, oh, my God, Barbara just died. This is like really, really soon for, you know, him to be getting yeah, married. It's like that or just do nothing. Right. Right, exactly. Because like he had found this woman that he liked spending time with and they wanted to go. They were going to go like visit her kids who lived in Arizona, which meant they had to stay overnight somewhere. So that meant they were getting married. And that was the end of it. And then similar, a similar thing happened to my grandparents' other friend, Nancy. She dated for a very long time, this man, after she had been widowed and just kept keeping it at a distance because she didn't want to be like her friend who had gotten married too soon. So I don't, to me, it's just not clear why she would want to marry him when he doesn't seem interested or aware of of anything. Yeah. I mean, but, look, they said they'd been friends a really long time. They knew each other for years and years before the wife was even ill and had always been friendly. And she had been his source of support. Like one of the daughters even was like, she was hitting on you at the funeral. Like, gross. You can't be with her. Um, and he just, I mean, yeah, he's, he might be sort of emotionally unaware, but he also was, is like, look, I'm, when he has a, th a moment to think about it, he's like, yeah, I'm not ready for that. Like my wife's only been gone 18 months. I yes. feel like I'm cheating on her. I'm not going to marry you. I'm not yeah. even going to date you. I don't want to date. Yeah. Which is, uh, pretty normal and reasonable, I think. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I see what you're saying about the societal thing. At the same time, uh, it does seem a little extreme to put this guy to an ultimatum where if you're having a nice time having your standing dinner date. Oh, um, yeah. And I just looked at that as like, this is the plot device. You know, the, yeah. like it's it's not necessarily something that would happen after six months, but it could be. I mean, like I said, my grandparents, friends, definitely. It was very quick. Yeah. And we were all very surprised. But so this resolves in basically the same way that the backdoor pilot did, swapping the wife for one of the daughters. He's got two daughters in this universe. He's uh, three. Three, okay. Yes, because there's the one at college, Emily, that mm -hmm. they're on the phone with, but she's an off-screen character. We're not meant to see her. She was written in, according to their uh, the lore. By the way, there is an entire website dedicated to Empty Nest nice. called EmptyNestTV.com sure. that has anything you ever want to know about the series. It's pretty wonderful. But so they wrote in this Emily character in case any of the two daughters that they had cast ever decided to leave the show, then they would have this 
off stage, off screen character that they could just cast at that moment and bring in. Sure. Okay. And so that did that did end up happening in season five. The other daughter, so you've got the two daughters, you've got Dinah um Manoff, and she's the one who played Marty in Greece. And then the other daughter is Krista McNichol, and she had been a child star. She was one of the she was on a bunch of shows in the 70s, like as a child, and grew up and had all the child star issues that they have and this was like i remember kind of at the time this being like oh that's so great she's come out of all the you know bad child star things that happen and she's able to work and able to like hold down a job season five things got the better of her and she took some time off she just like abruptly left in the middle of the season and they brought in that emily character but it didn't last nobody liked her so all right. Well, so you've got two daughters that we see. Yes. And one of them kind of gives him the same thing of like, you haven't been present in my life. You don't pay attention. Oh, that's to right. Me. Yeah, it did really uh, parallel. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, it ends the same way with him just basically making a vow of saying, well, uh, sorry, <laughs> you know. Uh, no, it wasn't exactly like that. So you have Dinah Manoff's character the older of the two sisters that we see, I think the oldest of the three. And she, um, you know, has just 18 months ago lost her mother. She had been really close with her. And she says to her dad, like, you can't just go and get married again. Like, my husband left me. My mom died. You don't even know this woman. Everybody's just, like, moving on. Like, all the things that that David Leisure character had kind of said to her to undermine her that she was just like, whatever, I don't care, and walked off – really come back and say, no, these are the things that I'm I'm upset about. And I was so close to my mom and she's not here anymore. And then her dad's like, so the wrong parent died, which was like a really heavy moment. And she was like, no, I just, I just don't. And I never have had that relationship with you because you've always been busy and working. And he's like, well, we can try. Right. And I thought that was, I thought that was good. I thought that was really yeah. a sweet moment. Um, and then the other daughter is a undercover cop and she just seems to have her life together and she's a lot more happy. She doesn't seem to need all of this like loving kindness, care and support that the older daughter needs. And so, yeah, he's like, I'll try. And then, but this, this show ends with him and the dog and he was like having this cute moment with the dog. Right. Yeah. But he's still, it's the same thing of him making a vow to say, okay, I didn't realize that I wasn't, you know, that I wasn't there for you. I'm going to try to do better. Yeah. And then, yeah, he has his moment with the dog, which you can imagine is, I guess, how all these shows are going to end. But we haven't talked about park overall or park, park overland or whatever the, the nurse, what's her name? Oh, she's so funny. She's his sassy nurse. And uh, yeah, Park overall. Um, she's his sassy nurse from Arkansas. And man, does she have that accent. She talks like this. And, and it is like she's almost unintelligible in how like Southern the accent is. But she is great with the one-liners. She's like, well, I wouldn't work for you if I didn't have to. Or I'd quit. And it's like, it's so funny. They have a great rapport. I can totally see why when they spun off Nurses, yeah. it had something to do with her. Because she she's a shining moment throughout this episode. Like, her comedy is spot on. Whereas the David Leisure stuff is so 
crappy and crass. Yeah. And we got rid of the multiple personalities guy. Yeah, right? multiple personality guy has been replaced by Park Overall as like mm-hmm. the, you know, tertiary character. Yeah. That makes sense. Do any of the Golden Girls come over during this episode? Do we have any crossover whatsoever? No. Do they say anything about, you know, oh, Rose next door? Or I don't anything think like so. That. I don't remember there being. I don't remember any that either. Connection. There are many, many episodes of Empty Nest that do have that crossover. It's interesting though that on the pilot, the yeah. Golden Girls were like, "No, thank you." After that horrible, <laughs> yeah, I wonder launch what the, story the season is before. <laughs> yeah, to me, the Golden Girls to Empty Nest pipeline is a pretty good example of how not to do it. Right, they're shoehorning in. This tangential character, they're giving you one scene in the season finale of Golden Girls to make a link from the Golden Girls to this new person. And then from there, expecting you to just devote your Golden Girls time slot time to this new show that they're trying to sell you on. When that doesn't work, instead of saying, let's not do this, they just change it to a bunch of other equally dumb stuff. (laughs) And yeah, it has that sort of cynicism, I think, that it's it's not surprising that people revolted. Whereas the Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley thing, you know, maybe that's not the most perfectly organic or seamless thing, but that works to me because that Happy Days episode never really left the point of view of our Happy Days characters. So like I said, you got to meet Laverne and Shirley, get a taste for them, and then you get to see their point of view when they get their own show. Yeah. So I always like to look back on all four and say, what was my favorite of of all of them? I think Happy Days. Happy Days was at, like the best episode of good watchable television out of the four. Yeah. Which is surprising because I love Golden Girls. And I think had this been any other episode of Golden Girls – that that likely would have won, but yeah, because the Golden Girls episode wasn't really a Golden Girls. Um, yeah. I think uh, the Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley were both very solid to me in terms of that. Like I said, just super sitcommy, just like exactly what you think that quintessential snobs versus slobs stuff. The scenes with Laverne and Shirley just in their living room, sort of like spelling out their dynamic, were good. You no, know, and and I forgot or didn't even realize when I was younger that they're sort of they're kind of like a female version of the odd couple yeah they've got that kind of yeah it's not the same exact dynamic because neither one of them are like neat and nerdy yeah but Uh, surely as time goes on she is definitely the more fastidious one uh she is a little bit neurotic Mm -hmm. I mean Look, Laverne's neurotic in her own way, too. But in terms of, like, the grump and the, you know, the optimist or whatever, you you have those kind of – those those tropes sort of sitting in there in yeah. play. And you could see how this was so successful for them, for Gary Marshall and the Happy Days world, that they were like, okay, let's keep pushing this. Let's what try if we some do- more. What if we have an alien? Yeah. Exactly. What if we do the same thing, but instead of a couple of horny girls, it's an alien? All right. So much for spinoffs. What are we talking about next time? Next week, we are talking about, hey, kids, we're putting on a show. 
We are going to take a look at four episodes of Shows Within Shows, where we have our characters who are involved in a theater production of some kind. So we're going to watch The Brady Bunch, Season 5, Episode 3, Snow White and the Seven Bradys. We're going to watch The Simpsons, Season 4, Episode 2, A Streetcar Named Marge, The Office, Season 7, Episode 3, Andy's Play, and finally, Schitt's Creek, Season 5, Episode 14, Life is a Cabaret. Life is a Cabaret. Old chum. So that'll be next time, and we will declare this segment of the sitcom study concluded. Thank you for listening to The Sitcom Study. Tell us what you think or share your own TV tropes and topic ideas by sending a self-addressed stamped email to sitcomstudypodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram. And if you like the show, consider leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. It helps us boost those precious Nielsen ratings. The Sitcom Study is recorded in front of a live studio dog. (laughs) 